0: Welcome to Rogue Bogues episode 28 of the basketball series, Mr. Pro, who is now about to leave Greece. How goes it?
1: Bogues, it's it's going pretty well, man. It's been a fucking, uh, it's been a great, great trip out here, dude. It's uh, good people out here. I don't know how there's a fucking skinny Greek ever. How they fucking eat, Bogues, its unfucking un-fucking-real. We in the last three days, we fucking cleared out the Mediterranean in any fucking fish. There's no fish left. Fishermen are fucking <laughs> begging me to fucking leave town because they can't feed their families anymore. Because now, if you want to buy a crab or a fucking piece of haddock, it's seven hundred and twenty-eight dollars. Because I fucking totally flatlined the whole fish industry in this fucking in this great country of the blues. economy.
0: You just gotta the way you, the way they stay skinny, from what I understand, coffee and a lot of cigarettes. You know, the cigarettes. That's what you should do. You should take up smoking and you'll be skinny within a year. Who needs dieting?
1: Bogues, the fish is so good out here. I I had some sea bass a a few days ago near the water in uh, this town called Lutraki. It was so good. After the first bite, I had to change my pants three fucking times. I've heard (laughs) about food porn. I've heard about food porn. I fucking finally experienced it. But let's be honest. I would probably have the same reaction to a filet of fish in fucking McDonald's. But this, this fish and this food is unbelievable. Yeah, it's been a great time though. You
0: can't be been Mediterranean. Fun. Mediterranean diet is one of the best in the world. I've, I've spent many years there in Croatia in my off season. So very similar to Greece. Anyhow, let's get on to the basketball. Um, we'll get on to the finals in a sec. I just want to say go Nigeria, bro. Go Nigeria. Yeah, Go big, to big win. As At the time of recording, that game just ended. We'll talk about it a little bit later. At time of recording right now, I have the TV on in the background and the Australian Boomers are about to play Argentina. So hopefully we get a result by the end of this podcast. But let's get on to the finals. I'm not sure if you caught game two while you were over there, pro. I did.
1: I did. The game won. And I'm telling you what, the Phoenix Suns were so lucky that i didn't watch the game because it wasn't on in the hotel i was in in latraki but it wasn't on in the middle of the night in the hotel i'm in in athens so i think the the, the deal is if i can pick you and watch the game in an un and a non-english speaking language that i think that you might be okay <laughs> but if i watch the game in america you're fucked no I thought it was great. What do you think about the game, Bogues? And I'll, I'll chime in after what you we you thought.
0: 2-0 oh at time of recording. Look, I think I've got two different takes. I think Milwaukee's just looked a little bit clunky at times. But Phoenix has played the best that they can play. So I'm not sure. I think Milwaukee can go home and salvage these next two games. I really think they can. They ran into a buzz buzzsaw in game two. You know, Phoenix shot the piss out of the ball from three. They don't miss free throws as a team. They're one of the best free throw shooting teams in the league and they've had a phenomenal run from the free throw line, all playoffs. They're shooting it. I don't even know what the clip is over the whole um, playoffs and finals combined, but they were, they were high 80s last game, so they they played as well as they could, and Milwaukee was still within striking distance. You know, they there was one possession where they cut it down to five, I think, and two offensive rebounds in the same possession. Kick out three to CP three in the corner, gets it back out to eight. So they they were within striking distance for as well as Phoenix played. So I think they can still get two games at home, and the pressure's. Somewhat going to be on Phoenix to play that same way um, throughout the series. But look, you, you'd favour everyone and their dog and their book and the sports bettors and the bookies are favouring Phoenix two, 2 0 up. No matter how you look at it with court, court home court advantage, they're definitely the favourites. CP3 has been phenomenal. Aiden hasn't played that well this series so far, but has still finished with big double double lines. I mean, game one, he had a monster line, but I felt like in game two, he didn't play that well, but still finished with a double double and made some key plays towards the end. There was that infamous kind of ramp up that uh, Monty Williams gave him that timeout. And Giannis, he bounced back in, in game two in a big fashion, start, starting to look like he's moving a bit better. But the Euro steps are gone, pro. He, he's not, uh, I've noticed he, he's not really comfortable in that open floor exposing that knee on a one bounce Euro and he's kind of stayed away from that. So I, I don't think he's obviously he's not completely healthy to what percentage, who knows. PJ Tucker's the interesting one for me, pro. That's, and that's what I want you to get into a little bit and we'll get into some other players. But PJ Tucker, I, I just don't think there's that many minutes for him, you know? I don't don't think there's – there's not that superstar wing that he can play his role to shut down and hit the – and then go to the offensive end and hit the corner three, where right now, he's a bit of an offensive liability, but it's not equating itself to be worth it for the defense that they don't really need. I think that they need more scoring. So, um, I'll get on to some other names later, but how do you you see all that and how do you – do you agree with the P.J. Tucker uh, analysis?
1: Bogues, I do. Um, I do. Like, P.J. is really – you know, hat. The way he impacts the game is, like you said, he should shut down wing player, dominating wing players. He could, you know, he could toughen them up. I mean, he just makes it tough on them. He could make that quarter three. But as you, elabor- you know, elaborated early on, like one of our first podcasts, when talking about Milwaukee, you were always worried about the bench. And now, because of the couple of injuries they've they've had and the bench got even cut and cut down even more, that it's – They just not – they don't have the firepower to stay with Phoenix. Now, they could probably take a game. You know, I think they'll take one out. They'll probably – if they're going to take a game, they're going to take game three. But I just don't think they're good enough. I think Phoenix is playing with unbelievable confidence. And I don't care what type of team you are. If you have confidence and you're playing free and loose – you're fucking hard team to stop, and I agree with you. I think they need to they need to probably cut down PJ's minutes and get more offense going because they need it. Giannis, I'll tell you what, the, Giannis, this is great for Giannis. You know he's hurt, you know with the knee, and you're right, he doesn't expose it. I hate that fucking euro step anyway because of that reason, exposing the knee, and he's probably feeling some pain in that. And But I'll tell you what, one thing that I'm, I'm really impressed with on Giannis's end is his ability to sort of, like, sort of ease into the game. You know, he missed some free throws early in game two, but then he just sort of, you know, that third quarter, he just sort of put his head down, you know, just started easing into it with his scoring, with his ability to get to the rim, made his free throws, you know, and, and really played a hell of a game and kept them in it. But, like... It it, it's just hard for him because they're just going through him and going through him and going through him because he's the the only really consistent scoring threat that they've had throughout the series. Um, You know, Middleton's been up and down. Drew Holiday's been mostly down. Um, Lopez has been good when they got it got it to him on the block. But um, and my hats off to Phoenix and what they're doing too. Like I don't want to take away from what they're doing. You know, Chris Paul has been unbelievable in pick and rolls. Um, you know, Bridges has been effective. Booker has been outstanding. Um, Ayton, like you said, has been a little bit up and down. But again, he's, he, I, I think this is all good for both sides. Like it's good for Giannis, even if they lose the series, which I think they'll lose probably 4 1, 4 2. It's great to deal with this because it gives him a taste of what's needed to get, what he needs to get better at, what, you know, the mistakes that he made that he can, you know, sort of build on. And I think this is great for him. You know, even if the series doesn't go where it wants it to for him, and then for Phoenix, this is just going to make them stronger. I mean, they've got their role players kicking. They've got Chris Paul doing his doing. You know, Booker and Aiton and and the rest of the gang. there. like, you know, it's been an, it's been an, you know a very entertaining. Even though it's two zero, it's been entertaining. Milwaukee's been fighting hard, but I just think that Phoenix is just too good, and and I don't think Milwaukee has the firepower.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would agree. It's, gonna, it's just going to be interesting with the injuries too. Saric is out for the series. Torrey Craig, they haven't released anything yet. They're pretty two important role players for them. They, they give, you know, more so from the, the point of giving their starters rest. Um, so I think if Milwaukee can get three, I think the pressure somewhat goes a little bit back to Phoenix because they, they're going to be playing, you know, Chris Paul's playing high 40s, uh, low 40s, book of the same. So fatigue, injury could play its part, which is why I think you know, I think Phoenix is going to go all in. Obviously, you know, for everyone out there, they everyone wants to win every playoff game. But I think Phoenix is going to go all in for this game three. I don't think they they want a situation where this series drags out. But the Holiday and Middleton thing that you addressed—that's been the big one. Holiday, you know, he, he's really struggled this playoffs in general. He had a few shining moments in that um, game seven against Brooklyn, but. You know they, they gave up a lot to get him. You know they did get get rid of Blazlo, who was wasn't great for them in the playoffs, and there was a lot of questions about his shooting. But I mean, Drew Holiday hasn't looked like that much of an upgrade right now, as we speak, right? And they gave up a lot of picks. For, they gave up some you know s- some former picks for that, and that they're the two guys that Giannis. If Giannis generally in a regular season game, Giannis has a forty ball, They're winning by ten. You know, and for them to him to have that. That kind of night, and they still, you know, couldn't get over the line, and weren't really within striking distance late in the game is concerning. So I think Milwaukee. I mean, do you maybe play Forbes more? Uh, you know, he's a he's a flat out standstill shooter, knockdown shooter, but he's horrible defensively. We saw at the end of game one, Phoenix were kind of, you know, looking for him defensively to put him in actions. But you might have to do that and get, you know, get Tucker out of that lineup and probably make it a bit more of a shooting lineup around Giannis. That's the only really way you're going to get you know, get through this series, I think. They're, they're going to make an adjustment. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud via the podcast, what is the adjustment? What is the, the Steve Kerr small ball death lineup that came in game three and four of the final series? What is, whatever it is, right, what, what is that adjustment? They're hindered a little bit because of injuries, but I'm trying to figure out. I mean, Forbes is the only one I can really come come to where you maybe, maybe put him in a little bit more and go a little bit more small ball style. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to be clutching at straws.
1: Yeah. I mean, they did give up a lot for holiday and, and I don't want to bash holiday. He's been a great player. He's play, a fantastic a very good player. player oh, he's career. a great player.
0: Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Man. It's just, he's had, he's just struggled Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: And I know you're not bashing him. I'm just saying like, my thing is he's been pretty consistent for them and he's getting into the rut, which this is the worst time in your career to have a rut in an NBA finals appearance, you know, especially with him and, and Middleton and you know, Middleton's playing okay, but not great. And you got to look yourself in the mirror and and you got to ask yourself, okay, if my shot's not going, how, you know, if my jumper's not falling, how can I help the team? You know, you know, you got to make adjustments in within yourself because this is where you get valued. You know, 30 million, 20 million, 1 million, whatever you're making for a salary. This is where the microscope comes out and said, Are you really worth this? And it's just, it is what it is. The game's way overanalyzed as it is. And he's struggling and he's got to find a way and they got to find a way. And it's tough because they just don't have it. Like they don't have enough. And and I agree with you. Adjust, it's all about adjustments. Like when I was working for Kobe and, you know, they get down in a series, Phil, I'm not a huge Phil Jackson guy, but Phil always made adjustments that sort of put them in position to win. Um, and I think that this is where, as a coach, we, I talk about it all the time about has, how coach is mostly irrelevant in the NBA this is where coaching is relevant. This is where you really earn your money and earn your reputation, where if you can make an adjustment. Now, there's only so many adjustments you can make if you got a lack of talent versus the other team and a lack, lack of a little bit of mojo, but. Um, it'll be interesting. Yeah. You can go Forbes a little bit more. You can continue to post up Lopez, get, get guys in foul trouble, especially if you could force switches on a one, five pick and roll, maybe get CP down on the block and maybe force a couple of fouls. I don't know. I'm not an ex no fucking genius. I'm, you know, you know, I'm more of a junior college version of it. But I, I think that you got to find some other way to sort of generate offense. And, and, you know, it'll be interesting what they do. I'm always interested in what coaches do to make adjustments in the series. So if they're going to make some noise, Bogues, I think they're going to make it in Milwaukee. They're going to make it to uh, the next game. Uh, th- that's,
0: that's my opinion. Yeah, they've got no choice. Do they go Giannis at the five to start? Then it takes away Lopez, shortens the rotation. I don't think it's that. I'd like to see Lopez post up more and put some pressure on Aiden. We haven't seen Aiden have to defend someone backing him down and going at him in the block, get him in foul trouble, maybe tie him out a little bit, get in his head. We haven't seen that. Giannis did a great job in Game Two of attacking Aiden, even when Aiden was on him, he was he was going through him, you know, shoulder into his chest and dunking on him. So you know, you'd like to see that also happen at times when. Aiden's guarding Lopez because a lot of times Aiden can get his rest. They can put him put him to the five. Crowder takes uh, Giannis and then, you know, Aiden's basically just guarding a, a shooting big, which is the easiest thing in the league to do. You just stay home you know, and running, grab a few rebounds, and, and that's kind of it. So, you know, Budenholz has got got his work cut out for him. I'm sure they're cutting a lot of tape. It'll be interesting to see what the chess move is, if if there is one, you know. Um, their, their lineup's shortened. They've they got a lot of injuries themselves. So, Jeff Teague's now coming to minutes. He didn't play a lot during the regular season. You know, people are questioning that, but, you know, you got to give guys a breather when you can, and, they're, yeah, they're, their lineup is just so short right now, which will be the same issue for Phoenix now in Game 3, depending on, you know, this Torrey Craig. They're saying there was nothing, no major Damage done, but a short didn't look good when he left the floor. So I think both teams are going to be light on on cattle this this next game, but it will be fun to watch.
1: Yeah, I think it's either going to come to two things, folks. They're going to say, you know what, we'll make small adjustments, and we're going to, ho- you know, we're going to lean on our home court. We're going to lean on our fans. We're going to lean on the, f- you know, being familiar at our home court and being comfortable, and then making a couple adjustments, and maybe we can squeak this one out two one. Maybe force a two-two if we get some momentum, or they're just going to say, you know what, we're going to go totally fucking radical on this game three, and we're going to make a huge change, like you said, like a Giannis at the five deal, and say go for fucking broke, and you know, and and maybe we can change the momentum of the series by making a huge change. Now, the the flip side of that is you make a fucking huge change and you get blown up by twenty-eight. Yeah, It's a fucking world of hurt and everybody and their mother's going to be coming down on you with a rain of fucking pain in the media about it. But, hey, look, this is why you make the fucking big money. You know, this is why, you know, if, if you're viewed as one of the best coaches in the league, you got to earn your fucking money now and, and, and put your team in the best position to win. It'll be interesting. Seriously, it'll be an interesting deal to watch.
0: Yeah, going back to Milwaukee as well, the fans there haven't had a final series since Kareem so you know to have two games in Milwaukee it's great for the city I know people I spoke to a few people that are over there right now that are Bucks lifelong Bucks fans and they're, they're pumped um, regardless of the two zero deficit what it's done for what it does for a small market like Milwaukee the city the restaurants especially when you consider the um, coronavirus and everything that's going on I think it's a really good boost for the local economy number one and I think the fans are pumped for it like I said Kareem was the last guy I think, that was, I think it might have been 75 I believe was the last championship they won with Kareem haven't even been close since then so to be back there is great and then Phoenix have had a long hiatus as well from, from winning a championship. So two teams that I think either one wins, not many non Phoenix or non Suns fans can be too mad about because it's just good to see a, a small market in there. All uh, right, did you see the uh, our friend Rachel Nichols and her whole debacle, folks? Who the
1: fuck didn't see that? I mean, this is it's <laughs> like like forget about world economy, forget about global fucking warming, forget about masks. Like this is the number one story that you see every ten fucking seconds. That about this Rachel Nichols thing? What what what's your take?
0: Oh man, what is my take? You know, for those that don't know, Rachel Nichols was recorded back in 2020. Did you did you hear? Did you hear how it got recorded, Pro? First and foremost,
1: like a hot mic or something. Was she in her hotel room yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, went, it kept <laughs> recording? Jesus, I'll tell you what. These female these female reporters for ESPN. And what happens in their hotel room? Erin Andrews had a problem in her hotel room. She's got a problem in her <laughs> hotel room. Stay at an Airbnb next time. Forget about the fucking hotels. They're bad luck.
0: Well, apparently, go ahead. Uh, so she was in the in the bubble last season, the infamous bubble at Disney World. Was doing a lot of her ESPN work via her room and and video video potting essentially or video streaming, whatever you want to call it. She was doing the jump and. I guess she didn't turn the camera off properly and then had a private phone call with LeBron's PR agent, Adam Meldolson, long-time advisor of of Lakers superstar LeBron James and his agent. And the camera and the mic caught it all, caught the conversation, and basically – the wording was something like this, basically saying during the conversation, she also sought advice from Mendelssohn because she believed her bosses were advancing Taylor at her expense. Now, Maria Taylor is a, a uh, African-American lady or a black lady that um, is moving up through the ESPN ranks doing a phenomenal job. Um, it was covering football, I believe, as well. And I guess Nichols is starting to get a little bit insecure about it. I just want them to go somewhere else. It's in my contract, by the way. This job is my contract in writing. Mendelssohn referring to host Nichols told Mendelssohn referring to hosting coverage during the NBA finals a few minutes after saying ESPN was feeling pressure about racial diversity. Basically just said that she's gonna get moved on because of the diversity quota and 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 it is what it is and wasn't too happy about it. And what's what's ironic about this pro is that Rachel Nichols was part she's part of the work mob, you know? Um she's she's part of Her storytelling with the jump and everything else is she's on that work side of things and kind of has to be with the company she works for and working in the NBA, but not work enough pro not work enough not not enough work credit points you, you, she's got the female woke point and that's about it so they finally moves her away from the covering the NBA finals now um, it's, <laughs> it's just been it's just been a big like you said it's not that important I don't think it's just blown up because it's during the NBA finals probably the wrong time for anything like that to come out but what's lost in all of this is how this recorded recording came out are you familiar with that
1: again the the like it was recording from a device that, like, from her laptop or something or a camera, right? And then somebody from ESPN, shocker, fucking leaked it and then just started this shitstorm, right? Like, yeah. that's sort of how it Obviously, came
0: Maria's up. got a hold of it. And allegedly, I would say, I would, I would be gamb- a gambling man to say that she's used that at an opportune time. She's infamously in contract negotiations right now, Maria Taylor, and asked for $7 million, I believe it was, a couple of weeks before this this tape recording. Um, I think it was $7 million, yeah. which, which is more than Stephen A. Smith or around, around his ballpark. And then coincidentally, a week later, this recording came out. So for those out there, to put two and two together and figure things out. But ultimate chess move by her to sit on that recording for this long and now use it at a time where she's probably needed more than ever. She's also now going to leverage- People with, you know, their pitchforks out to get Rachel Nichols to say, hey, ESPN, you better sign me. The fans want me, you know. So, I think detracts from – I think she's a decent analyst and reporter. I think it detracts from her body of work, but I think it's also a, an interesting chess move that just, you know, coincidences don't happen like this, bro.
1: Well, folks, first of all, I think Rachel Nichols is full of shit. Like, I'm not a big Rachel Nichols fan. I think she's fake. I think that, like, she tries to get attention on every broadcast – And she doesn't really have many original thoughts. She just wants to go where the, you know, where the wind blows. You know, she's big on BLM and she's big on that. I don't think she's big on BLM. I think she's big on MMM, the me, myself movement. She will do and say anything in the public eye for people to like, you know, love her to fucking to continue to get raises, to continue to get more power. And she'll say and do anything. But that being said, even though I think she's full of shit, Like she made a she made a a comment about what she thinks and feels about why she didn't get, you know, a, a, a particular position. And let's be honest. We hear it every fucking day that this person got this job because she's a woman or he's a guy. This person's black or this person's white. And that's why they got a job. She didn't say anything demeaning. She just said what she thought. And look. We hear it every day. So I don't really blame her for that. I blame her for being a fucking fake and saying, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's, she's all for minorities in the workplace. She's all for that movement. And now when it actually happens, she's fucking all against it. And look, she makes a million five. Uh, Taylor makes a million. They offered her five. She wants Stephen A. Smith money, who's making eight. So I think she wants in that neighborhood of seven and eight. This thing is all about leverage. And yeah, she was sitting on the recording. Hey, look, good for her. I mean, she's trying to like use that as leverage. Look, you need leverage in this world. And I don't blame her for that. It's a complete shit show. But it goes to show you that most people in society are completely full of fucking shit. They tell you one thing all for this. When when anyone to me is radical on one side, to me, I think they're full of fucking shit. Like for me, I'm an, I'm I'm vulgar at home. I'm vulgar off the camera and off the mic, and and I'm okay with that because I'm not a fucking fake. But you get so many of these, especially in the media, you get so many fake fucking people who throw it at you one way, and then when the camera's off them, they're a, a fucking complete different way. So, like I said, I'm not a Nichols fan. I think she just wants she wants. She just wants to be loved too much and doesn't have an original opinion that might have to go against the grain a little bit, which that's what I like out of anybody in life, including media. But I just think it's a fucking shit show. And, you know, like I said, I don't think her comments are all that bad. She just made – that's what she was feeling. And that's what she thought. She thought she got screwed for the job. I don't know if she got screwed for the job. I'm not in fucking ESPN. But That's all we know, hear, though, bro. Like It's just a good
0: point. That's all we hear is – this team needs to hire someone, An NBA team needs to hire a female coach. So, this is my conversation back podcast ago. Is that detracts now? If there's a really good woman that's supposed to be a head coach and get a head coaching job one day, gets the first one, there's going to be sentiment that people are like, it's a token job because you know there's all this pressure about it. It's the same thing within ESPN. You got to be careful what you wish for, and it's just you know the other factor of, of Nichols using the female card to progress her career years ago, how hard it was for her to break into a male-dominated society. She forgot to mention that she has family ties to Hollywood producers and whatnot, which I only just learned recently. So, I'm led to believe that she's uh, she's done very, very well to use those contacts to go from basically, I think she was a beat writer at one point in Washington, DC, to now the face of that ESPN, The Jump. So, you know she can't complain about about it either, but I, I agree. Uh, what she said wasn't, to me, wasn't overly controversial because there's some truth to it. That there is, it's well known that there's quotas now for um, hiring an African American coach or analyst or or a woman or this or that, and it's it is what it is. If, if you're if you're denying that or thinking that that's controversial to say, then you must not like hearing the truth. But one kicker in all of this was LeBron James's PR agent right so lebron's probably the one of the most woke in the nba you know loves to 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 push whatever cause is trending, except for the China one. You know, the olgers in China and the concentration camps that they uh, have over there to make, make your shoes, they're fine. That's all good. Don't know much about that situation. Not educated enough, but everything else I am. Anyway, his, uh, his PR person or his, you know that, that's employed by him and Rich Paul was caught on that mic saying, I don't know, I'm exhausted. Between Me Too and Black Lives Matter, I got nothing left. Nichols then laughed. Goes back to your point. People that are in power, people that are in the media, people that are preaching to the choir, the choir being you plebs out there like pro and I are now. I'm a washed up athlete, so I'm a pleb. Preaching to us, they don't give a shit. <laughs> it's in, it's in yeah. black and white from LeBron's very own PR person, right? It's all to create your brand, your mystique, get your marketing, you're doing the right thing. That's all it is. I've yet to meet someone. There's not many celebrities that I've met or basketball players that preach this stuff nonstop that live that life. I'm just going to put it out there. There's, there's, there's not many. There's probably, you know, if I can count on one hand that I actually live the the life that they're preaching, everyone else should live, and that that would be rare. I only need one or two fingers on one hand, but probably hit it on the head. It's it is what it is. As, as long as it doesn't affect me, I'll preach it. As soon as it affects me, yeah. Rachel Nichols, Rick Carla, whoever it is, it oh no 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 no. Then now it's not fair to me. Well, that's that's what you're doing to everyday people, and that's what you're preaching to everyday people. So I don't feel sorry for either of them. I think ESPN's got a massive problem anyway with with all this going on, and I'm just sitting back eating popcorn and laughing my ass off because I love when the when the woke and the you know the people that are offended by everything go after each other. It's a it's a match made in heaven.
1: Yeah, it it, it's just typical, like anything. People, it's just human nature. They'll do anything and say anything to get more power, more money. And the, and on the flip side of that, they think by saying it day in and day out. Look, if you want to support BLM, do it. If you want to support whatever you want to support, that's on you. That's how you feel. That's fine. But you think by just, if you're fake, like Rachel Nichols is, obviously, she she does it, does it, does it, does it. Does it and she's going to expect to get protected by if she makes a mistake, fuck that. In today's society, nobody gives a fuck. They'll they'll love you until you make a mistake, and then they'll fucking they'll run off like they're going off the fucking Titanic and fucking running off and pushing off pregnant mothers into the water to get on a fucking lifeboat because they won't they don't want anything to do with you after you fucking do this shit. And that's the ju- that's that it that's it because she's a complete fucking fake, and now she's just getting exposed for it. Like I said, I don't care what she said. That's that's up to her. That's her. That's her feeling on it. But whatever it is, it is. But it's just another fucking day at the fucking circus.
0: Yeah, it is. And, and we see it with you know politics in the states at least, and even over here where you know they're going to cancel each other out. But now you've got you know kids not talking to their father or mother because they voted a different way to them, or or their grandfather because they voted a different way, and it's just it's just a crazy time with all this shit. So and they're, they're the people that are affected by. People, people that are in the public eye you know, journalists, you Rachel Nichols of the world that are preaching to the choir. They're preaching to everyday people who buy this shit. And that's what gets me. They're, they're preaching to people that, think, oh, wow, well, that Rachel Nichols, is all she's all about it. Fight the power. Well, great. Now, you know, I'm going to do what she, because Rachel Nichols told me, right? And then it affects yeah. their life because they stop talking to their brother or their husband or their wife or whoever it is because, oh, you, you've got views that Rachel Nichols said are, are wrong or whatever it is, right? Well, they don't give a fuck at all. They, they don't care. <laughs> like, they don't give two know, shits. And that's, that's what we we'll try to relate to everyday people is like stop following celebrities stop following people athletes that are giving you their political views on like this guy's a good president because xyz like make your own educated decision do your own reading if you're influenced by an athlete celebrity or a talking head on espn i feel sorry for you number one because you don't even probably know what's happening to you but Number two, just do your own research. So, yeah, it's been fun to watch. You move that one on into some Kyrie Irving. There was an interesting podcast, Matt Sullivan, apparently a beat writer uh, who worked for the Brooklyn Nets a number of years ago, or last season and the season before. He had some bombshells pro on, on a podcast with um, Dan LeBetard. And, yeah, I mean, basically said, told them on a show that um, the Nets cap, they're circumnavigating it. Is that the right word? circumventions, circumnavigating, same shit, I guess, and various ways in which they made KD and Kyrie feel in charge. So, he reckons he spoke with high-ranking official and the Nets, at the Nets who watches over the money, and basically says, there is a blank check for those guys as soon as they got here. Whether that's buying a girlfriend, or a girlfriend on the side, so (laughs) I hope none of those guys are married or... (laughs) (laughs) have <laughs> a current girlfriend cuz he's just thrown him on the bus or getting a house in California for the week if they're there for a game or party putting money for the boys and equipment for random shit they're totally cool with covering that but they had to have some meetings with them because every week it was something new and they had to adjust the numbers. So I think that's what makes the Nets a modern franchise. So his argument was they're a modern franchise. They're doing things how you should do it in the modern world. It's not their fancy facilities or their defensive schemes. It's that they're willing to put up with this. Pro, number one, how how is this report not garnered an investigation from the NBA? Because this is blatant salary cap cheating and tampering. Like, I mean, if, if Kawhi got in trouble or Magic got in trouble for the Kawhi thing and all that kind of stuff, this is blatant. Like if they're – buying party houses when they go on the road and, and flying their boys out and paying for equipment, that's, that's surely some sort of uh, legality with the cap, isn't it, bro? Yeah, I mean, it, that was a pretty amazing sort of revelation
1: the guy made. and But, yeah, it, to me, the, the interpretation of the CBA is this is a multi, multi-million dollar fine, multiple draft pick, sort of cost for the Brooklyn Nets, if this is true, because the rules of the NBA state, like you can only do so much for players. There's only so many things you could actually do for them besides their salary and bonuses and things. But if you're, if you're having a, a, no pun intended, a rogue operation where you're financing these things for players on the side, that is an amazing, amazing thing. Where, you know, if the NBA catches wind of it, I mean, it it should be a big fine and big, I mean, big investigation. If that's if if it is actually true, you know, with this report and but it goes to show that people will do anything at any price to keep your superstars happy, to keep the money rolling in and keep you at at a, you know, a championship contender where you'll do anything and break any rule possible to get this thing done. But this is, I mean, I my eyes my, my eyes flipped after hearing this. This is a like there's a lot of sh- tom fuckery that happens in the NBA. This this might be an all timer, a top ten all timer for sure. If this is actually true, this is this is fucking amazing. With the girlfriends on the side, the houses, the I mean, I, that, that's <laughs> well, a some, pretty fucking.
0: Some teams would have a pretty big yeah. uh, checkbook if it was. Some guys that are single, I'll, I'll, I'll put that, that disclaimer. Have have you know. Double-digit girls all around different cities. That's an expensive payment for the Brooklyn Nets. That's a lot of lobster and filet and sweets at the Ritz-Carlton and flights for their girlfriends, girlfriends. You know, geez, like I, you'd love to see the bottom line, but that is blatant cheating in my opinion because all that can do now is say, oh, no, we're cool with that because it didn't go to the player. All right? cool. So then I sign a, a 1.9 vet min deal and you pay my boy, you pay pro $15 million to be my chef. You know, like <laughs> where's the line, right? Like right. It's one of, the, one of those things.
1: Like they said, Bogues, it's the NCAA version. When the Brooklyn when the NBA when the NBA catches the Brooklyn Nets cheating, you know, they'll they'll definitely put it on the fucking Houston Rockets or or the fucking, you know, Memphis the Grizzlies. Minnesota Timberwolves <laughs> or the fucking Detroit Pistons. You know what I'm saying? Those guys are gonna get fined the fuck out of themselves. So for like not wearing, you know, for a dress code violation, they're gonna they're gonna find the fucking Pistons about a half a million. But yeah, it'll be interesting, man. It's fucked up.
0: Yeah and and there was a lot of gems in this podcast so I I you know if people want to go and listen to it it's on YouTube google it with the names i gave you earlier Matt Sullivan and Dan Labatard the other interesting one i found in there were he gave some comments around Kyrie Irving and this one really was eye-boggling to me the quote went like this Kyrie was empowered enough to swap guys off the Nets roster this season because they didn't necessarily agree with his politics or his view of player empowerment when it came to his kind of bubble boycott call. Garrett Temple told me straight up, like players in leadership, if you go against what they want you to do, then they won't want you back. And if that's the case, I don't want to be on this team. Coincidentally, most of the Euro guys that were on that team were all gone after the bubble. So there is a bit of smoke to, to that. And that that to me is Absolutely mind-boggling. So you're basically bringing your politics, individual politics, whatever they are, you're bringing them to an athletic event, a basketball game, a locker room where your sole job and cause is to win a basketball game. You're saying, hey, do you agree with my politics? No. Go to the gym, get him, get him out of here. He doesn't agree with what I'm, what I'm trying to do here. Now, you know, player empowerment. There's different definitions of player empowerment. There's different definitions of social causes that people support. We know BLM was very divisive. There were people that that loved it and there were people that hated it. There were people that were in the middle that didn't care either way. But if you've got a player now in a locker room that's not only a player, but a superstar and a guy that's one of three that's looked up to on that team as, as a a veteran leader and all star and potential Hall of Famer. That's pretty intimidating, you know. You're a second round pick that, you know, has has your own ideals. You gotta you gotta toe the line and buy in. And we talk about Kwame Brown's podcast, you know, from from months ago that that that's his kind of point. It's the go along, get along game, and and you see this in locker rooms now. That's that's a pretty concerning thing to to kind of to kind of read for me.
1: Yeah, this has been going on for the last forty years that we spoke. Like now, the player politics stuff and player empowerment, or more player politics. Really hasn't been a big deal, you know, maybe it's probably started the last 10 years or so. But, like, I read a great book about the Los Angeles Lakers. It's called Showtime. I think the author is Jeff Perlman. And he was saying that magic had that type of power with the Lakers. And, like, he would party and, you know, like, party it up and take girls to bed basically side by side with fucking Jerry Butts because Jerry Buss wanted to be around Magic Johnson that much, they would chase women together, you know, and party. And because of that, you know, and also he wanted to keep Magic a Laker for the rest of his life, he would do anything for him. So there was, a, um, you know, th- there was revelations about that where they would chase women and party together. But also like there was one time like in training camp where a player like, uh, you know, an end of the bench guy was fucking Magic up, like roughing him up and like brought magic to the ground on one possession and he goes like something like this motherfucker you'll be gone tomorrow and that fucking guy was cut the next day <laughs> and it's nothing it's it's fucking it was a, it's an incredible book it, it's an incredible book i would definitely recommend anyone reading it but because it's a real view like cocaine problems with the team and all the party and all that stuff but that's what it is because gms especially in today's game their fucking hands are tied because these these guys flip on them every three, two or three years. They go to another team, so you need to like, especially your superstars. You know, whatever they tell you to do, you got to do or They're fucking gone, you know, because they're they're they 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 got you by the balls anyway. So it just it just goes to show you that hey, look, you know, it was. You know it was player movement and things like that and chasing women 40 years ago with owners and things now it's hey, if you don't agree with my politics or whatever now i don't know if that's true it might be it might not be as far as a political thing but definitely if like those superstars don't want you there for one reason or another they'll fucking get you out I, I definitely believe that side of it and it just goes to show you that's just sort of where we are today where if you have all the power as players and as superstars you could call the fucking shots because what's the GM gonna do? If you leave, it's their ass. They'll get rid of the GM and coach in twenty-eight organizations before they get rid of the superstar. They 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 will have no qualms about that because the player is more important than the culture of the team or the or the GM or who the coach is and probably twenty seven, twenty-six, twenty seven organizations. And it just goes to show you it's just it's it's you know, it's like that in Brooklyn. It's
0: yeah, and these are the same rough. the same people preaching diversity and equality, right? So you know, as long yeah. as as long as you uh, are diverse with your views that align with mine, you're cool with me. You know, it just contradicts everything that a lot of go- a lot of guys and girls out there preach. When when you're gonna you're gonna cut someone based on what they believe in. Now this could this could also factor in. Let's not forget the NBA is a very religious league for the most part. You know, there's a lot of you know Christians in in the league. And you know, I felt that a little bit under Mark Jackson. I, I probably, albeit, I was probably making too much money to be cut on the spot for not not towing the line and and being all in with all that. But it's the same kind of thing. You know, religion and politics. You just don't. That should never come into a locker room. And unfortunately, it has. It has because of what's going on in the world. It has because of, you know, the riots over the last year in the States. The NBA got involved and. It, it can be divisive and uh, whether you believe, on once once again, whether you believe on that side of things or not is not the point of this conversation. It's like everyone should have their right that if, you're, if you believe in BLM, fantastic. If you don't, fantastic. If you hate Trump, that's great. If you love Trump, that's great. If you love Biden, hate Biden, whatever, like that should have no bearing on your athletic performance and it should have no bearing on you as a person, right? And, and that's where we're at as a society. It's like, oh, he's this, so he's not with us. It's like, well, have you spoken to him or her? Have you, you know- had that conversation whereas it's as simple as like, oh, these guys didn't want to boycott a game because of something I believed in, you know, get them out of here. That, that's that's really fucked up and if, if that is the case, it's kind of a wild thing, wild accusation to make so it makes me believe that it, it is pretty close to the truth and it was a beat writer that's pretty close and he's got Garrett Temple Quoted in black and white, so uh, I'd hardly believe that it was a lie. But that's you know that's pretty concerning to me if that's the truth.
1: Yeah, I mean it goes to show you, folks, in life, if you have leverage over somebody, you know, most people are going to exploit that leverage. And you know, these superstar players, I mean, even today, with like above-average players, seem to have all this leverage. Like, you know, not these teams. Again, never put their foot down. There's a difference between like not listening to players and treating them brutally, which no players treated brutally in the NBA, to be honest. And there's a difference between getting railroaded on a daily basis by it, by players, by agents, by things like that. At some point, you got to have some fucking balls at some point and say enough's a fucking enough we're going to pay you. We're going to treat you with respect. You're going to stay at the finest hotels. You get the salary. We're going to give you a voice like, you know, in, in whatever message you're trying to put out there. We're going to do that for you. But in return, don't tell us how to fucking do our jobs. Don't tell us what fucking players to keep or or or, or try to pick up. We'll, we'll ask you your opinion at times and we'll a- ask you to weigh in. But we got a job to do just like you got a job to do. And like you got to respect the line like we respect the line. And at some point, somebody's got to show some fucking balls and say enough's enough because it's ruining ruining the sanctity of the game and it's ruining just the respect of the game. But it goes to show you that, you know, you got to get to a a dark place sometimes and do some shit you don't want to do to fucking win a championship or at least have a chance to win one. And it just goes to show you what you know what's happened in the league. It's pretty sad. It's pretty sad and pathetic, actually.
0: Yeah, it is. It is, but it's not going to change because that's what you're you're empowering. It's just I just always get a laugh when it's the very people preaching everyone's equal, yeah. diversity, inclusion. Everyone should be included. Oh wait, hold on a second. You don't you don't want to you don't want to boycott this NBA game? Get the fuck out of here. You're not equal with me, buddy. <laughs> on your bike, go play yeah. go play in Indiana. So you saw uh, Jamal Mosley, <laughs> head coach of the Orlando Magic Pro, great. Great signing for Jamal, first and foremost, his third, first head coaching job. We've spoken about him at length. He was a head assistant at the Dallas Mavericks the last couple of years or last four or five years at least. Former Importing the NBL for NBL fans, and yeah, he's got he's got the deal to turn that dark and gloomy Orlando Magic around. That he's got a hell of a job ahead of him because they're they're in all kind, all kinds of problems. Some young talent there, but I don't know. You just don't know which way their roster's going and who they're building around. Really, they're in a full full on full rebuild rebuild. I'll say it again: full 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 on rebuild. But yeah, good signing. I didn't see any particulars about the deal. Did you did you see any particulars? I didn't see any years or how much he's getting.
1: Folks, I don't think the deal's officially done, but when Woj and these guys say it's like heading that way, you just it's probably a matter of days before they sort of get everything ironed out. They're probably, you know, dealing on the years and the guarantee and, you know, they're just going back and forth on the particulars now. They probably, in my opinion, probably agree to it, but just sort of have to make sure everything's, the I's are dotted, T's are crossed. And I think Jamal's an outstanding human being, a very loyal person um who you know who really like you know he, he's great with the players he's he's paid his dues like I told you he he I met him when he was playing in Spain before he went to Australia he um a friend of mine Dave Hopler shooting coach used to work with him when he was in San Diego and I was working for the Celtics at the time and um Jamal was visiting a friend in the area and Dave called me and said, hey, this guy, Jamal Mosley is coming to work out and he wants a place to work out. Can you work him out? I'm like, yeah, it's great. Our team was on the road. So, you know, he spent a few days together and then all of a sudden, like five years, six years later, I'm in Chicago. And Dave Hopler and I goes to go to the fucking Denver Nuggets game against the Chicago Bulls. And who's working out guys, you know, playing defense like Bruce fucking Bowen on guys in pregame? It's Jamal Mosley. I said, isn't that Jamal Mosley? He goes, yeah, he's an and like an unpaid intern. Like I think George Carl was paying him out of his own pocket and he was basically an intern. And then. He just went from, I think he went from there to, to Cleveland for a while. He went to Denver for a while. I think he moved up there. He went to Cleveland and then we, we brought him in in Dallas. And I've always been a fan. Um, it's a tough job. It's not a great job. And we talked about it before about assistance sometimes having to take these rough jobs, but at least it gives him experience running his own team. And I think that he could do the best he can by like, holding the guys accountable, teaching them how to be pros. He can't control what the front office does with players and contracts and things, which they haven't been very good, you know, with, you know, assembling great talent around the roster. You know, as far as the young guys going forward, they traded all their veterans and all their good players. So yeah, his work's cut out ahead of him. but there's only 30 of these fucking jobs. And sometimes they go like, well, well, you know, this is only take, you know, only get off with these bad jobs. Well, there's only 30 of these fucking things. And the problem with the NBA boats for these guys is one day you're hot as assistant and then the next day you're not. And like you're forgotten. And then you got all these other people that are applying. You get all these lifers that get fired. that are going to go for these jobs too. And then it's tough. So I'm happy for Jamal. I think it's a great job for him. Um, I think he can learn on the job. I think he's paid his dues and i think he'll be pretty good. you know look he's only he's going to be you know a victim of his talent. either he's going to be good when they if they acquire talent or they're not going to be good. but again it's great for the experience. it's great fucking money and you get a chance to all those ideas you have on the second seat over from the head coach that you have in your head now you could actually put on the court and see what works and what doesn't. I think Jamal's going to be fine. I'm, I look forward to, the, to seeing those guys and seeing how he does.
0: Yeah, it's always a tough job though to, to take these kind of roles because what's the measure of success for the Orlando Magic? It's not going to be based on wins and losses for the first couple of seasons, but there will eventually be a third or fourth season where they start to expect playoffs and you know the rebuilds are always hit or miss. And it can it can somewhat backfire on head coaches. Like like you said, look, it's great. He's got his foot in the door, so he's got a head coaching role. Who who wouldn't want to be happy? But on the flip side, if God forbid it doesn't work out after a year or two and he's kind of back to the bottom of that list of next assistants to get a head coaching jobs. For people out there, there's a lot that goes in these decisions. There were, back in the day, I, I don't have any names at the top of my head, but there were a bunch of assistants, mainly Spurs guys, funnily enough, that would knock back jobs as that had a head coach openings that were just known as bad jobs or suicide jobs as per se, and they wouldn't take them. Um, but I think those days are gone. You kind of have to take what you're given. But you know, I think it does hopefully work out. Jamal's Got a lot of a lot of good things about him that he can implement. A lot of a lot of good in his coaching style. He's worked for numerous different coaches, played all around the world, which helps as well with his network and whatnot, and having a bit of international influence in his coaching most likely. So I think it's a good hiring. And honestly, for the Orlando Magic, I don't think they could have messed this higher up anyway. No disrespect to, to Mo, but they're they're in a full rebuild, so I think. Whoever they get is going to be a young, enthusiastic guy like Mosley was probably the right decision. You probably wouldn't want a veteran head coach for that group. And it looks as though, you know, he'll have his work cut out for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think he has his work cut out for him. But, you know, the one thing he does is he, players gravitate to him. So he's going to control the locker room. Look, he's replacing a hell of a fucking coach in Steve Clifford, a hell of a coach. So it wasn't like Steve Clifford couldn't do the job. It couldn't, it wasn't like the locker room, like, totally boycotted him and, and shut him off. They just weren't good. They probably thought, look, we'll get a younger coach in here. He was probably a little frustrated without any intel or anything. I'm just going on what I think. Like Clifford was probably frustrated because they had this team that was sort of a borderline playoff team with, um, you know, with their talent and they, they shipped all the talent out. So now you got Jamal. I think Jamal will control the locker room. I think that players would really respect him. Because of his work ethic, the guy straps it up every fucking day and goes out and beats guys up, you know, defending them in workouts and stuff like that, you know? So I mean, he just has a great way about him as far as with people. He knows how to treat people the right way. And as we know, a lot of head coaches in the league do not treat people the right way. And I think he'll treat his staff the right way. I think he'll treat his players the right way. Again. There's no fucking secret formula of winning games in the NBA. So it ain't like he's going to give them 30 extra wins because of his coaching. He's going to have to build that team up um based on his talent and develop some of these players. And they got to draft well and they got to sign good free agents. Or it's not going to be a good time for him, you know, in, in two, three years from now. I think he could definitely just keep everybody together. I think they could fight for him. I think they'll, they'll scrap. But again, his talent needs to improve on his team. Um, these, this is a tough job. The ownership is good there. They're not meddling like some other bad places in the NBA. Um, they will spend money when they need to spend money. So if they could just get it right with the draft and some of the free agents they sign, I think he'll be okay. If they don't, it's going to be tough for him. But I think that Look, there's only 30 of these things. You can't kick back jobs like you said, like they did back in the day. Um, you know, because look, you never know. Because as an assistant coach, in my opinion, you gotta, your team has to be successful and win for you to be, a, have a chance to really get these head jobs because they want, look, they're not going to get, like, if Monty Williams wins a championship, which it looks like he's going to, they're not, no team's going to get Monty Williams. So what they're going to do is they really think that the, you know, By hiring the next assistant over or the second assistant over from them, they're going to like rub off like they did, like Indiana thought with hiring, you know, know, Bjorken from Toronto. They think because they won a championship that those guys have it. And that's not necessarily true. Some players, some coaches on winning staffs are fucking completely insane. I wouldn't have them coach third grade fucking teams. But so I don't think you should go, I don't think you should hire an assistant based off if they win a championship or not. I think you just need to hire them by watching what, you know, what they do with players, what they, how they talk to the media, how they handle themselves, your intel. I think Jamal would do well, but if for him to be, have longevity in that job, they're going to have to upgrade their talent.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And it's a talent driven league. And it's always going to be always interesting to me to see an assistant coach. Go from assistant to head coach. Um, I usually think it's better to go to a different team because that relationship you have as an assistant with players it generally has to change. So we'll keep and watch on that. Have you seen the new logo proposed by the NBA pro for next season? Oh,
1: God. Yeah, I had the same reaction to like that my wife did when she saw me without a shirt on for the first time. It's I'm not a fan of
0: it. It's so bad. So for those that haven't seen can Google it. The new logo is a fresh take on the league's iconic logo man identity based in the classic seventy-fifth anniversary symbol, the diamond. So it's got a seventy five, it's around a diamond. One glaring thing in this pro is the logo and the logo man is white. So we could have a few more boycotts in the coming months in next season, pro.
1: I don't know, man. What the fuck? Like, come on. I mean, you can't fuck up a free lunch. The logo is good. Everybody loves Just the joking. fucking logo. Everyone right? loves
0: the logo, but the, it's noticeable that the logo is white. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, the player yeah, in of course. Might, Kyrie might not play another game in that 75th anniversary se- season.
1: No, No doubt. I mean, what are you going to do? Come on. Exactly. I mean, it's a fucking logo.
0: But the, the, the actual 75th anniversary logo is, is not a pretty logo to look at. I just think, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. It, it makes sense with this. The logo is iconic as it is. Use the usual logo and maybe just throw a little 75 in there somewhere. And I think we've, we've done it. We've done a good job, bro.
1: Yeah, man. I, I'm just, look, I got no artistic fucking, I got no artistic fucking talent in my body. I got no talent in my body, period. But this is fucking brutal. In my opinion, I'm not a fan. So God, you know, God bless you, whoever designed it. I don't, I have nothing against you. You know, I, I, I'll send you some Alpo for your CNI dog that the fucking, the person who fucking designed it, but I got nothing against you as a person, but that's just, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan.
0: Enough said. Real quick, the Overtime League, big signing for them, high school junior Jalen Lewis is signing a $1 million plus contract with the new Overtime Elite League. Sources tell The Athletic he's only a junior at the moment in high school, so that is a huge, huge deal. He's 16 years old, youngest player ever to turn pro in American basketball. So the the leagues they're spending them they're putting their money where their mouth is and spending money like they said they would.
1: Yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to because look, they're a first ent- and first deal entity. Like you know, no one knows anything about them. So when like. Players are thinking about going to Kentucky, and now with the you know the likeness deal where they can make some money, obviously not this much money, but they can make some money, and they could play at a place that's pretty stable, or go to the D the G League with their program. They're going to have to overspend. They're going to have to they're going to have to compete with these guys and way overpay. It's sort of like like players coming out for the NBA, right? And they get contracts from Nike, and they get contracts from like adidas or reebok you're gonna have to fucking overpay nike like three four times on their deal they'll take a quarter what they take sometimes in some cases from like a a brand they really trust versus a train that a brand they don't really want to use but if you overpay them enough they'll go they're gonna have to continue to spend like this to get players because this might be a complete shit show after a year Where like yes players are getting paid but they're not developing and it's a shit show. There's no implode, yeah. you never know how this thing's going to play. You yeah,
0: know? and everyone just jumps ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but they are they are spending it, and they've got a lot of you know venture capital money involved in it. So it'll be interesting to see once the actual games get up what the quality quali- quali- quality is like. If I can get that out, um, what the standard of refereeing is like, what the standard of the games are like. You know, so th- there's a lot to go into it than just you know signing superstar players. So we'll continue to watch that space. The Olympic pools or the seating, however you want to call it, it's been finalized. So the qualifying tournaments, there was one in Canada, one in Serbia and one in Croatia. They've all that's all finished. So we'll go through the groups real quick. Um, group C Argentina, Japan, Spain, and Slovenia. So Slovenia took that qualifying spot. Luka went off um and had a triple double in the final. Got them in the last spot. That's a pretty tough group, bro, but we'll, we'll just go over them this week because next week we have a very special guest joining us, pro. Um, that'll help us discuss and break down the Olympic stuff. So I'm sure you'll be excited.
1: We're getting the CEO of McDonald's?
0: <laughs> He's a chef. He's a chef.
1: Uh, oh, special to me. I'm sorry. Not you, you say special to the show, not just to me. Just I apologize. Not just to you.
0: I did, I did see you find a McDonald's in Greece though. Of course you did. Such an American thing to do. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, it it brought a tear to my eye. It brought a tear to my
0: eye. <laughs> All right, Group B, this is Australia's group. Australia and Nigeria were qualified. Germany and Italy were the late qualifiers. So Italy came out and- um beat, I believe it was Serbia in Serbia, which you don't see very often so everyone thought Serbia was going to come out of that pool they didn't and then Germany came out of their side of things, um, they they came out of the Croatian bracket and they beat Brazil in the final so Australia, Nigeria, Germany, Italy now Nigeria, as we said earlier they just beat the US in a friendly game, they, I said from the start they're not going to be an easy beat, they, they've always been a team with a lot of athleticism, a lot of um, kind of talent but just, they just had either Nigerian coaches or European coaches and it was just a, always a shit show just never looked organized and they just literally went out there and just played almost kind of a free flowing street ball type game with no structure now they've got a coach that 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 does that in mike brown that's very very structured very hard-nosed coach and they looked phenomenal today against the usa i'm not sure if you saw that game but they i mean they, albeit they shot three ball that are insane clip over 50 percent for the game but they 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 look phenomenal bro
1: you know bogues this national team stuff is amazing you get pride not only in your country but like you get pride to kick the shit out of any team that you play. They don't, you don't care. And it just goes to show you, we've seen this in, in American teams, uh, probably in the past, uh, that Larry Brown team that, that they had, that they got a little cocky, like in the early 2000s, and they got their ass handed to them, you know, like in the World Championships and the Olympics. Any game, now look, there, there might be a talent disparity, without question, but look, if you play hard enough, you play discipline enough, and you don't care about who you're playing the names in the back of the jerseys and the team that you're playing and you just wanna fucking go out and just play your hottest and you might get you might get a little lucky. That's what they did. I mean, I didn't see the game, but I mean, that's cool. That's really cool to see to me. That's why I love the Olympics. I love I love any like FIBA deal Olympics or world championships. Cause you never know what you're gonna get. You never know how these things are going to go. Unless it was ninety two with the dream team, of course, but um, it's good to see. It's cool to see. I'm sure, I'm sure the US would, you know, lick their wounds and be like, you know what? All right, we gotta, we we can't just. This ain't gonna be a fucking, you know, this ain't gonna be the anim- and N one mixtape tour. We could just show up and fucking play or a Globetrotter game against the Washington fucking Wizards.
0: And you'd rather the loss be now than not in two weeks' time. So that's the one positive for the US. This game didn't matter. Yeah. But for Nigeria, it mattered. This is the first time I believe that an African nation has ever beaten the USA basketball team. So they've created history much like Australia did last two years ago when, when they beat uh, we beat Team USA here in Melbourne. It was our first time ever beating them. So more and more teams are starting to get them. I think the world's getting closer and that's the beauty of international basketball. It's one game. Now I'll, I'll always stand on, I'll die on this hill. If you have to play Team USA in a seven game series, you're not going to win that series generally. No yeah. team's really going to win right. that series. But a one-off game An injury, foul trouble, someone gets hot from three for you, someone's ice cold for them, you win the game. And that's the beauty of this tournament. So I'll finish off Group A real quick. It's Iran, France, USA, and Czech Republic. Czech Republic were a late qualifier from that group. But yeah, that's the the beauty of of international basketball and something I've always liked about it is, is on any given night, someone can get hot, something crazy can happen, a bit of luck, a lucky bounce and bam. So we we saw that today with the USA and Nigeria. As we speak, Argentina is up five at half time against Australia. Australia looking a little clunky in their first half, not showing a lot, a lot of just straight mid pick and rolls is what I'm seeing so I think there'll be a lot that they're going to leave um, in the bag until the tournament starts that's the other thing pro <laughs> these these friendly games leading up to an Olympic Games or a, or a World Cup it's a chess game as well you don't you don't want to show your whole hand because every yeah. team's got scouts there you don't want to really run your quick hitter stuff you don't want to show too much you want to play a, a kind of a helter-skelter game but on the flip side you, you need to kind of run your shit as well and, and get a good flow and feel about it so it's one of those things like do you what would you do pro as a coach leading to these tournaments in friendlies would you show your hand and make sure all your guys are familiar with it and you've got it down pat? Or would you leave some stuff in your pocket but then probably have that in the back of your mind of like, fuck, we haven't ran this that much? Bogues, you know, this is why the fucking game's
1: fucked up sometimes. People get too tricky. People try to play the fucking, the cute game and say, you know, because they want some they want some fucking analyst to tell you you're a fucking genius that you, you didn't show your whole head. Here's the thing. Here's, when anyone wants to compare themselves as a player, to like a Kobe Bryant or a Michael Jordan or a Larry Bird. They didn't give a fuck who they played. They gave their whole fucking... They they threw everything at their opponent. They don't care if they were playing a third grade kid with six fingers. They would destroy them. And they're not taking anybody lightly. They're going to fucking destroy you. If you want to be a player at a high stage in the Olympics, the NBA, in college, high school, club, whatever... You have to look at that opponent and never, never take them lightly. And you destroy them by 90 if you can. That's the difference between being a great competitor and not a great competitor. And teams like the United States, like if you like, you got a lot of players that are trying to like sort of, you know, try to make a name for themselves. If you want to make a name for yourselves, you got to compete. It doesn't matter who you're competing against. I don't care if you're playing against a Caribbean island. You know, you don't have to play against Serbia or or Australia or Spain to or Argentina to really give it every night or the gold medal game. Like you got to give it. And as a coach, like I I just look, the, the fucking Utah Jazz ran three fucking plays and they made two championships and nobody knew how to fucking defend them. So like it didn't matter, Fair. you know what I'm saying? Everybody knew the fucking pick and rolls. So stuff. you'd
0: be so you'd be a coach that wouldn't hide your hand. I fuck see. no,
1: I'd be eating McDonald's on the fucking sideline. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'd be doing everything I could. You know what I'm saying, folks? Why the fuck hide anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, no, yeah. I wouldn't f- – who the fuck cares? Nobody runs plays anymore anyway. What, are you going to run some fucking super play that's never been run before? Uh, you know, fuck that shit. Yeah, it's
0: just a chess game I've noticed. It happens a lot in international basketball. The Euros are notorious for it. There are teams that do it. There are teams that try to hide their yeah. shit. They try to, you know, and, and there's a chess game within that. And I think a lot of times, like you said, I think it's overemphasized or over overthinking things. And then I'm more in the boat of – Maybe some of your quick hitters, maybe you don't need to run those. Like if it's a quick hitter, like, hey, sure. this is a short clock play from the baseline out of bounds or sideline, fair enough. But all your other stuff, I want to get through it as much as possible. They've only had one training camp together as a squad, at least an Australian team. So I want to run it as much as I can. But have you seen the, um, how the seating works for the Olympics? This is a fucking algorithm and a half, bro.
1: Dude, I don't know. Yeah, I've never I, – I started watching the Olympics in 84. I have no fucking idea how you make the Olympics, how you fucking get to the Olympics – I, I don't know anything
0: about the fucking. Even weapon. the current. I'm talking about the current. So you got you got. So it used to be twelve. Yeah. It used to be tw- there's, al- there's always historically been twelve basketball teams, men's basketball teams that get in. It's always been twelve. Yeah. It used to be just six and six, right? It used to be six and six, right? And top four on each pool get in, and they cross over and play in a quarterfinals, semifinals, gold medal. Very easy. Right. Very easy on the brain for you and I. Nothing crazy about it. So now these dudes have gone to. They've gone to three pools of four. Right. Right. Yep. Whoever finishes first in those three pools goes into one pot. Right. The, the 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 best, the highest placed by percentage, second place team. So only one second place team out of all those pools also goes into that pot. So that's four teams. Your three first uh-huh. places and your first second placer. And you've got two more uh-huh. two more second place teams left. They go into a pot. And then your top two third place teams go into a pot. You <laughs> got all that? And then they cross over. Uh- so
1: so hold back, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Carry the two, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. Times pi. Okay, I get, it, I, get it, I get it. I get it. I get it. Go of ahead. Those ones.
0: but I just yeah. don't understand why they've done this. It's it, it equates to one less game because in a pool of six and six, you play five games and then sorry, two less games actually. I'm wrong, but it's just a weird one. It's just the the way it works. I, I guess for Australia, for everyone listening, obviously we want to finish first. But if for some reason we don't finish first in our pool, we want to be the best place second team because otherwise. <laughs> we will be put in yeah. the in the crossover against the U.S. So if you finish first or top place second, you will more than likely be in the same pot as the U.S., which means, pro, you won't face them to a potential gold medal match. So that's the big one for Australian oh. fans out there. Yeah, anyone wanting to avoid the U.S. early, because if, you, if you're the crossover pool against the U.S., you might get them in a quarterfinal, and then you're out of there. You know, high chance you're out of there.
1: We're going to have a little ta- like clipper tanking going on, Bogues, and the, these things. And that's happened before. Right,
0: that's happened before too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't. You know what? Two less games is good for the Olympic organizers. Did you read? They're losing twenty-five billion dollars on the Olympics. Really? This year. The, wow, the, final, this, you finally
0: yes. brought something to the run sheet. F- fantastic. Thanks for letting me know. But that's great, folks.
1: Twenty-five billion dollars because they can't have fans, and then all the pandemic stuff. They've lost sponsors. Twenty-five. Billion fucking dollars. It's it's pretty. F- it was it was cool yesterday when we were in, a, um, in Greece. Uh, the guy that took they brought me here took me around. I uh, drove by the beach and things, and I uh, dodged a few harpoons from fishermen. You know, that I thought I was going to get in the water, but we drove by the Olympic venues, and they're all fucking abandoned, derelict. Man, they spend. I, I
0: played a- that one. I played that one. the derelict. I heard.
1: It's great. It's beautiful, but sad. It's beautiful, but sad, and. Like they build all this infrastructure with the, you know, and I asked them like baseball fields and cricket gyms and basketball gyms. And there's like grass coming out of it. And like, they're just, they're abandoned. And I asked them, I said, what about, why don't you just give these venues to colleges or like the Olympic village? Like they, it, they said, yeah, it's about 30 minutes up, you know, it's about 45 minutes away from here and it's abandoned. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, but now, I guess, because of the no, you know, no fans thing, or no fans that come. I mean, all these countries lose money in the Olympics. You know what I would do, folks, To be honest, I would keep it in Greece, hundred percent. I'm not just saying that because, no, yeah, keep I it. agree with you. Yeah, same place every oh, year. By the way, folks I went to the first Olympic stadium that was built here. I don't know how the fuck people people don't die going up that first of all (laughs) it was a fucking hike right but like these steps that they have to go up in that like I wanted to go all the way to the top to see Athens the fucking steps are like a complete straight down I said there's no fucking way if I get up I'm not coming down unless I'm in a fucking body bag but the Olympic Stadium was beautiful but like the people here love the Olympics because it obviously was created there's a lot of tradition a lot of history And plus, you don't have to be these countries that A, Pay off the Olympic Committee to oh, get man.
0: the fucking Olympics. The bankruptcy yeah. usually bankrupts, like the, for instance, the Sydney Olympic Village. That's where the Kings play out of Kudos Arena, right? The, we use the old Olympic Arena that was built in two thousand. It's still, it's yeah. still not an area that's popular. It's now, it's now just started to flip into house heavy housing, high high rise apartments, right? And we see that with a right. lot of places. To grow up, I've always had is they come in and pillage some of these countries. Now Australia, first world country, US, they can survive. They can kind of tread water and be okay. It took the Sydney, that village area, to, to somewhat get people back there, 10 to 15 years. So if you're if you're Athens or you're Brazil, Rio, like I heard Rio is already derelict. It's already empty, you know, and it's like you feel sorry for these countries, what the IOC does to people, and people don't understand that they're a mafia within themselves. Uh, but I agree, pro. I think having it, Ath- it in Athens every year, it's the home of the Olympics. It doesn't create a home advantage really for anyone but Greece. Great food, great weather, and it's something historic about having it there rather than you know, every four years, just absolutely pillaging some poor country. So the reason why, for those that don't know, Japan has announced the state of emergency with coronavirus, meaning that they thought they'd have half capacity, if not two thirds. Zero capacity pro, no fans at the games, so that that's where that twenty five billion comes into play.
1: yeah, it's it's pretty sad. And like I said, I would just have it in in one place. They could upkeep the facilities. You know, and, and you don't have to abandon them. You don't have to build all this infrastructure, for, and for what? I mean, what are you going to get out we of it? We all really? know why. We you know, all know why this is
0: going on, bro. There's there's yeah, some suitcases no of doubt. cash that are going to people to get to get the first off to get the Olympic bids. Remember the old? I don't know if you probably don't follow soccer, but the FIFA Utah. Nah, the FIFA, the FIFA oh, bids. Oh, in, FIFA! Yeah, do you yeah, remember yeah. that where there was like, <laughs> there was like blatant bribes for like. I think they, they picked Qatar over like it was going to be fifty degrees in Qatar and they picked them over someone else. But it, you know that, that's how it works with all these old school old school FIFA, uh, FIFA's and folks. F-
1: I'm sensing a new podcast for you covering the IOC. Oh man, I'm, I'm I've telling got no you. i fun for
0: the IOC. What shits me about these <laughs> dudes as well is when you know when you're in the village as an athlete, you're not allowed to promote your own sponsors. So. Once the Olympics starts, there's a rule, right? If I'm sponsored by, yeah. let's say, McDonald's or Coca-Cola, or whoever it is, I can't promote them on my, even my own social media channels during that dead period of the Olympics. And I'm like, you, but you guys aren't paying us. You know? And, and okay, for, for, for let's put this into perspective for people out there. NBA player like myself oh, okay. made a shitload of money, right? The problem is, oh, yeah. let's say a, a dude that's on the rowing team or the archery team, his whole preparation for four years – is usually funded by a sponsor. And their cherry at the top for funding a guy and taking that risk is that they hopefully have a gold medal for their country, great PR. Then the Olympics come, they can't even promote their fucking sponsor. That's why I can't stand these guys. The IOC, I think it's the biggest rort. It's you got them and the NCAA about who, who wants to do the most dodgy things and preach to the choir. And I think the IOC is almost overtaken them because it is- Hold
1: on, hold on, Bob. I got to leave this message real quick. Hold on, hold on. Hey, Lawndale, I gave you 10 grand to wear that pro pizza jersey. I want my fucking money back, okay? You can't wear it. I want my fucking money back, Lawndale. 10 grand, all right? You can't wear my fucking pizza jersey, and now I'm all 10 fucking grand and a pizza jersey. I want that shit back.
0: Okay, I'm Pro's sorry. Pro's pizza? Pro's pizza?
1: Well, no. Remember, the, remember that guy that made the pizza jersey for the oh, pro? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I paid one deal 10 fucking grand to wear it around the Olympic Village.
0: That's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I've got a short memory. Yeah, but anyway, that's my <laughs> rant on the IOC and our rant. But I, I hope Athens just get – that'd be nice. Just get it back to them. I don't even know where the next couple of ones are. I think it's Paris, right? Paris is 20, 2024.
1: I've heard these countries now are going to stop uh, bidding because of the fact that – Not
0: us. Yeah,
1: the pandemic
0: – we're bidding for, I think we're bidding for 28 or 30, I think it's 32 maybe we're bidding for. <laughs> Just like, yeah, fuck. we'll take, that we'll take it, we'll pay right. for it, we'll, bank, we'll bankrupt our nation even more after coronavirus. Oh God. Why not? Why, Why the, not? the fuck not? All right. Well, we're on a timeline because Pro has to fly out because he could not organize a route in a brothel.
1: There's a weight limit on the FedEx plane that they're fucking shipping me out to, so <laughs> I got to get there.
0: Let's get to some stats. Useful or useless. This one's a stupidly fun one, but probably (laughs) a dumb one. The team that have scored the first point in the last four finals have lost the finals, pro. 2017, J.R. Smith, Warriors won. 2018, LeBron James, Warriors won. 2019, Steph Curry, Raptors won. 2020, Jay Crowder, Lakers won. And who scored the first point in 2021? Giannis. So Phoenix, put all (laughs) your money on Phoenix, guys. (laughs) Jesus. The flip on this stat should be who pro fucking
1: went for in each of these championships. Fuck the first point. Whoever I said, the opposite's fucking winning. This stat is completely fucking stupid and useless, (laughs) but it is funny. It is
0: pretty funny. I'm more surprised how Smith shot at the right right basket to start the game. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, JR. My boy. <laughs> good old JR. All right, next one. Elite company. Chris Paul is the first player with 30 points and 8 assists in an NBA Finals debut since Michael Jordan in 1991. Funny thing about this stat is <laughs> Jordan had 36 and 12. So, to make this stat work, they had to go minimum 30 and 8 <laughs> just to include CP3. <laughs> oh,
1: boy. It's awesome. It's awesome, like, to the lengths they go – to make these players look iconic, and look, Chris Paul is phenomenal, Hall of Famer, or whatever, whatever. But yeah, that's pretty funny, though. Like to try again, they they make such a big stick. It's got nothing to do with Chris Paul. I'm, I like Chris Paul, but like they they make like these these people who do the games and, and and cover for media. They go at all lengths. They they hire NASA and half of MIT to fucking come up with these things, to make these players put in the same category as like the elite of the elite of the NBA. And they try to get any type of stat going that like, well, Michael Jordan put his deodorant on on his right armpit and so did, you know, so did fucking Giannis this game or so did, the, I mean, it's unbelievable the lengths they go to try to put these guys in the same category as as, as some of the league's best that ever ever played.
0: It's a lot of work for an intern, I'll tell you that much. The last one we yeah. have is Devin Booker and Chris Paul have combined to score 113 points through the first two games of the finals. That's the most by a starting backcourt in the first two games of a finals since starters were first tracked in 1971. That's Elias Sports Pro. Another one for the What do you years. think? Useless. What do you think? Both useless. I mean, these ones, these ones kill me because they're just like who, the, who is, who can even be bothered researching this? And we're just clutching at straws. Like the, back to the Chris Paul one. Chris Paul's great in his own right. You don't need to bring Jordan into it. Jordan had thirty six and twelve. Chris has had thirty and eight. You don't need to bring Jordan into it and then say, oh, minimum of thirty and eight. Like it's we we see what you're doing. We get it but just stop just stop with the stupid stats it's funny these these out of all three of these the most useful one was the whoever scored the first point in the NBA finals in my opinion
1: <laughs> I love that one hey shout out to Stat Muse on that one uh, hats off brother they're, hats they're,
0: good. Off. they're good Stat Muse <laughs> I, would, I would highly recommend following them at Stat Muse I like them yeah. they have some real good I ones like and they do some random trolling ones as well it's my kind, of, my kind of page so fact or fake news pro what you got
1: folks uh, this is obviously finals related on all three but if Phoenix wins the championship, would you consider Chris Paul historically better than Steve
0: Nash? Well, the way everything's weighted these days, everyone holds that championship ring up, you know, like, oh, he doesn't have a ring, you know. So in in public sentiment, people probably will have Chris Paul above Steve Nash. It's tough. Steve Nash was one of the best to play the game, but also played in a very stat-inflating system. You you have to remember DeAntoni's style was Mm – was in, you know basically emphasizing shots in the first 7 seconds so there was a lot more opportunities but i still think steve nash by an inch and i i i you know i'm not a fan of chris paul as a, as a person but i can't i can separate the fact that he's he's a phenomenal player and leader on that team so i think if he gets the ring I'd, I'd have him i'd have him equal to if not a little bit past steve nash
1: yeah i would i would put steve nash ahead of chris paul and look what chris has done throughout his career is is Phenomenal. It's been great. I mean, the guy's, you know, the guy's done very well throughout his career. Nash did play in a a system that's sort of up-tempo and and push things, but also he won two MVPs. You know, in my opinion, if you're an MVP, two-time MVP, that like, obviously by your peers, people are saying, and I know we talk about the voting all the time and, and whatnot, but he's the best in the league for two years in a row. And could have been three and you know his team just wasn't good enough to to get to a championship i mean he like they were good they were really good but they just didn't have enough they had a had to face the lakers the spurs great iconic team but i I just think nash and and before steph curry i thought nash was the best shooter of all time and on top of the the two-time mvp best shooter of all time before curry made his team better advanced deep in the playoffs i think I didn't fact check this one, but I think you know he's done a little bit better in the playoffs than Chris Paul has. Even though if, if Chris might get you know might win a championship, but I mean, look, it's not a personal thing. It's just more what your eye see. There's, there could be a thousand other people that see it the other way, a million other people. But I, I think that Nash, you know, being the two time MVP, taking his team deep playoff consistently, the shooting, um, I, I'm always been a Nashy fan. But like, hats off to Chris Paul. But I just I think Nash is a better player uh, historically. And then again, Paul is going to play for two or three more years. So you never know what's going to happen. And, and it could change,
0: you know, yeah, in, that, in that sense. I think, I think yeah. one-to-one player to player, I take Steve Nash, but I think now if, yeah. you, throw, if you factor in the championship ring that um, they should win, you know, I think that changes the conversation just a little bit, but next one.
1: Bogues, uh there's, there's been a lot of talk, you know, in the last few weeks comparing Devin Booker and Kobe Bryant, Devin Booker at this stage of his career, is better than Kobe Bryant. Now you see, like I think Stephen A. Stephen A. said it. But I think I think Perk, uh, Perkins weighed in on it. So, what do you think about where he is right now? Not overall, but where he is right now versus Kobe. Where, where do you see things on I'll, that?
0: I'll end? Fake news. I, I love Devin Booker. I think he's had a phenomenal year. But I think Kobe coming out of high school and the journey that he he took, I'd, I'd still take. Kobe at this point in his career over Devin Booker Um, I think Kobe had to take his lumps but what is this for Devin Booker 4 or 5? I think Booker's into his 5th or 6th year yeah I mean I'm taking Kobe I'm taking Kobe I don't don't even think it's that close to be honest with you I think this is just a good talking point for him to have but yeah I think um, i take Kobe you? Yeah, I'm with you on that boat. Well, you have to say Kobe. You have to say Kobe will roll out of his grave and choke Oh, I have to. Jesus, Christ! I wouldn't have
1: had a job or get, uh, get interviewed while I was here because of that. I wouldn't have been brought out here because of that. But to me, I think Kobe was better because of the fact that he dominated. He completely dominated on both ends of the floor. By the time, like his fourth or fifth year came up, I-, I thought he was a dominating player in the, you know, on offensively and defensively. Where Booker is a very good offensive player, you know, very good, and he's built. I think this run has really solidified his place in the NBA, you know, at a, a way higher clip than I think a lot of people probably viewed him. And he's doing f- uh, phenomenal things, you know, he's doing great things. But Kobe did it on both ends. And I know, like those guys, had a relationship later in Kobe's life and career. You know, you know, I I know Booker references him a lot, but um, I just think because he dominated both ends. Now Booker's played more minutes up to this point because Kobe. Remember, Kobe really wasn't a starter until probably second year.
0: Eddie Jones.
1: Yeah, he's, he wasn't a big Dell Harris fan because of it. Dell, <laughs> Dell kept him on the bench and Kobe would talk to me about, uh, I remember when we were talking about new coaches, because when Phil was going to leave in like 2010, at the end of 2010, he said, Hey, give me a, co- a list of coaches. So like, I'm a huge Kevin McHale fan. So obviously I threw Kevin out there. I threw a few other guys and I said, Dell Harris. He goes, hell though. No. And with like eight excavation points, obviously, cause Dell, Dell coached him hard. You know, Dell's an old school coach, and, but I don't think Kobe liked coming off the bench all that much. But <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do remember that. But yeah, I just I wouldn't put. I wouldn't put Kobe and Devin in that same category just because of, again, statistically, probably Devin's doing better because he, he like I said, the minute thing, but Kobe's uh, domination on both ends of the floor and Booker's Booker's a solid uh, average to below average defender where Kobe was just like fucking, you know, dominating on that end. All right, last one, folks. Both Phoenix and Milwaukee will make at least the conference finals
0: next year. Fake news. Yeah, I think they won't. I think this is their opportunity. Um, I've still got Brooklyn out east when they get healthy. I think Milwaukee did a fantastic job going this far, but I've still got Brooklyn out there, and I think this is Phoenix's year for them to do it, so I don't think they'll- i will go back to conference finals. I think the the Lakers will rebuild a little bit. The Clippers hopefully can get healthy again. It's it's a much tougher journey out West. If I had to pick one of those two, which one had a better chance? I would say Milwaukee has a better chance of making it back to the conference finals, funnily enough.
1: It's interesting. And you know what? Like Early on when I thought about this question, uh, the answer, I had the same answer. But you know what? I'm going to flip it. I'm going to say fact. I don't think both of them, I don't think one or both will be in the finals next year. But I do think... That they can make the conference finals, look, I think Milwaukee, hopefully, and again, we don't know about injuries, right, but I think Milwaukee will not only like have the guy you know have um the big the great Ragu, I think they call him the kid that got hurt davenzio De, De, I forgot Stevenzo, yeah, but the Ferncenzo, yes, uh, the kid played a villain over, I think they'll add to that, they'll still spend a little money. Uh, with exceptions and things to add, to bring in some more bench guys that could help them. I think they could get to the conference finals. They'll have Giannis. They'll have those three. Um, you know, we think they'll have those three guys back and then they'll add, add to it. I don't know if the either team or both teams will have enough to get through it to the finals, but conference finals, I think, look, I think Phoenix has a different level of confidence in their game. You know, I, they've had the experience now of going through this. It's not just a bubble playoff run. I mean, they had to play with fans and things at the end of the later half. And yes, they 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 you know they weren't expected to even do close to what they're doing now. But I think now that they've been there, their players are stepping up. Uh, their role players sort of know their role. There's no really internal friction that we know about. I think they can make the conference finals. If I had a guess, uh, who's going to make the final out of the group? Milwaukee might have the easier draw through there. But again, I think Phoenix could get to the finals again. Um, I don't know if they win it at all, but I think they can get there. Who the fuck knows? Because we don't know what's gonna happen in the offseason with Chris Paul. We don't know what's gonna happen. He wants a hundred million.
0: Well, that's the thing. If you're Phoenix, do you give it to him? Bogues, at first I
1: said I, I said no. You know, it's too much money, he's too old. But as isn't that, that owner has been isn't there fu-
0: thirty-eight year isn't there some sort of thirty eight year rule tweak or something where you can't give him a certain amount for of a max.
1: You can't give him a max, I think, folks. I think you could give him you can give him um because you got his bird rights, you can give him money, but you can't give him a full fledged four year max. But I think you can give him a three year deal. Look, the only team that's gonna take him if it's not Phoenix, is New York because of the you know, him and Leon Rose, history, they got cap room, it's New York and they're, they're, they're a better team. But I think Bogues, this owner has taken a, a fucking, he's been one of the biggest jokes in pro pro sports with Phoenix. And I think now that they've got this thing rolling that I think PR wise, he, he'll take a huge hit. And I think if he doesn't do it, and I think that now, now if I was them, I would do it, but I would probably partially guarantee the third year. You know, um, I would probably partially, like half, guarantee it. You know, to get a little bit off of it, but I think they have to do it. Be based on look, that team's a lot different without Chris Paul on it. And you know, look, I think I think Booker will get better. I think Aiton will get better, even though they're really good right now. But I think that they will give it because I don't. I don't think that owner. I think right now, like. You know how it is, folks. They could kill you, kill you, kill you. You win a championship, everything's fucking erased. And no one remembers five years ago. It's like the aging prom queen thing. Nobody remembers who was prom queen or Miss America back in fucking or Miss Australia back in 2015. You know, but they know who it is in 2021. They forget about you quick. So if he wants to sort of get rid of this bad publicity, I would sign him. Fuck it. You made all this money in the, in, you know, with the postseason and, you know, with your, you know, your CBA and all that stuff. I think they do it. Will it be a great deal? I don't know. Like, obviously his age and injury history, you, you've done a great job with him this year. You never know what's going to happen in the future. But I think going forward, they probably have to do it because I like campaign a lot. But if you lose that, if you lose Chris Paul, you got to go campaign. He's a starting point guard. You're a little bit, you're a lot, you're a lot different team. Let's be honest, you know?
0: Yeah, it's fair enough. I, I, I somewhat agree. I mean, you, it's tough because he's, he's, he's aging. You don't want to pay him all that money and then he you know, does his hamstring again or no something doubt. like that. But at the same time, I think it's – you pay him as a thank you for those two or three years. Worst case, he's one of your best – Coaches in a in a jersey that you'll have, so I think they're just going to have to eat that sandwich, regardless of how it comes and however it turns out. If they get mm-hmm. a championship, all right, let's finish off Q and A real quick. We got some real good positive feedback on a topic that we but that I, I at least find intriguing. You you kind of do, but our friend Sherwood Strauss really does do with TV TV NBA TV ratings. Now they are horrendous for the NBA Finals Pro. They are I think not even as half as good as as the last couple of seasons. It's been it's been pretty bad. And some people will say it's a small market, it's coronavirus, whatever, but it is what it is. The numbers are, are really, really bad and concerning. How had a Q&A come through. It was more of a kind of some, some, some positive feedback and some, some stuff that we would find useful. So let me read through this really enjoying the honest commentary on the NBA. I want to help you speak the truth. From last week's episode, you mentioned the $75 billion figure the NBA was expecting for its next TV deal. Pro and I discussed that about next TV deal. If they do a in-season tournament, how that all works, it's going to you know, put a figure together of around $75 billion. Well, as a former venture capital investor that focused primarily on TMT investments, which is tel- uh, television marketing, I, I assume, I can confidently say that, sev- that $75 billion number is an NBA fantasy. I could go on forever about why it won't happen, but the simple story is that the shrinking economics of the cable TV business model and changes in consumer consumption habits would make the deal financially unsustainable for any network. Just a few realities the league is facing. Cable TV subscriptions under 50% of, his peak, of its peak during the contract. Crazy. NBA TV ratings are falling faster than the rate of cord cutting, cable cord cutting. Netflix streaming has changed the consumer's tolerance for two commercials content ratio, which represented about one third of revenue and time of these networks. So Netflix, there's no ads. So, people are now getting used to Netflix and Stan and all these different things. You, you don't have ads. Competition from live entertainment platforms, YouTube, Twitch is growing at 20%. C-A-G-R. I don't have to look up what that means, but I, I assume it's annually or, or whatnot. And I can I can attest to the YouTube thing. I've watched plenty of shows via YouTube. Shout out to Kwame Brown. <laughs> but there's, there's plenty of shows out on YouTube and Twitch that I've watched. So, I watch an iota of minuscule amount of cable TV, so I'm one of those people. A few challenges I perceive the NBA faces. The product is getting worse. Way too many reviews. Most end of games are drawn out and not entertaining. Too much flopping. Polarizing players. Player movement impact on casual fans, DNP rest, general devaluing of regular season games, the league and networks being too political, woke, and hypocritical, example China, NBA stars are losing broad cultural re- relevance to youth and casuals. Lastly, the idea of streaming services and big tech are responsible for inflating the price of NBA rights is crazy. Extremely doubtful it would happen. It's not a big tech company DNA to outlay billions for services they don't own, so they wouldn't own the NBA. Most of these streaming companies now, they buy and own the product that they are on their their platform. While Netflix is interested in creating more content they would own and is evergreen, I could provide much greater detail on why the NBA isn't leaving cable and big tech is not that interested. Um, he, He also mentions, I write more about this stuff On my blog that shows some of the data, -data jfm-data.github.com slash blog. So if anyone wants to read that and then goes on to, to say that he wrote an article about Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor saga too. Look forward to your perspective on the drama. I expect it will turn more people off from watching the NBA Finals. In, in reference to Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. If you were the ESPN, ESPN president, how would you have handled the situation? I guess that's, that's his question, Pro, for you know, his long-winded question for us about how would you handle the ESPN, ESPN thing, but everything else, what are your thoughts? Well, two things. A- who wrote this?
1: Evan Strauss from San Francisco. Ethan
0: Strauss's brother. Yeah, yeah, it's Ethan Strauss. <laughs> no, this is ghost this just thing. Says Joel. Joel from Canada. Joel from Canada. He makes some valid points, though. Probably. And, yeah, sure. He has numbers to back up his points. I think he's. I think he's onto something.
1: Oh, hey! Without question, most of the stuff, if not all, is totally valid. Uh, I, you know, that's my question was like, if all these ratings are coming in the way we talk about them. Why are these TV deals going up? It's just crazy. It's crazy to me. Are
0: they going up, though? Is that just fluff put out by Adam Silver right now to get on the negotiating table? Because it hasn't been signed yet.
1: It could be. Who the fuck knows, Bogues? You don't know, no. And I mean, how many percent of the people who actually fucking tell the truth these days? Who the fuck knows? I don't know. And That's the weird thing. I, I, if I'm a TV network, I'm not doing it. If, if these ratings are legit and all these subscription things are legit... I totally agree. And my second point of this is, uh, Joel, please get a, get a better fucking name for your blog, man. There's, it, it, there's like 88 different, different dots on this Donna's blog, man. How about like, <laughs> how about Joel's take at take.com? How about that? But no, Maybe I think- Maybe he's an everyday hey, look, working
0: man. He can't afford to, to spend all his money on, on, a, on a blog he writes for fun, bro. Come on now.
1: It's a good point. No, but hey, look. Very well thought out. Um, very interesting stuff. I do think that you know, if I'm a TV network, I'm really thinking about: Am I really going to break the bank on these on these deals if these ratings are like they are, the subscriptions are like they are? I, I think that I think there's there's going to be a fucking problem here coming soon. And, you know, if this if all this data is correct that we're we're talking about, if if all this stuff's legit, which I believe it is then there's got to be some fucking problem that comes. Soon. On
0: the flip side, live, live sport is probably the last beacon where you can, where commercials are acceptable. So that could be valuable as well. If you're looking at it the other way, you know, like like Joel mentioned, Netflix and that have given us now a, a, a steady diet of no more ads, right? So people are used to that now. They don't want to see ads, right? Because Netflix, I watch what I want and go to bed or I watch what I want and I'm done with it. Whereas I think... It's still acceptable during live games, timeouts, and in football you've got downs. In Australian football, you've got goals for you to flood flood the viewer with with commercials. So that could have its own value, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense, folks, for sure. That may – I don't even you know you know me. I'm not, I don't think of those things, and you do, and other people do. I, I'm not wired for it, but you're right. Like like if I'm watching a movie, I don't want to see a fucking ad, right? If I'm watching a show, I don't want to watch an ad because, like you said, Netflix, Netflix ruined that for us. You know, we could just, we could binge it. We don't have to watch it. We're good. Any app that we get that there are ads, we pay the extra $2 so we don't see the fucking ads. We don't want to see them. It's interesting. But yeah, I mean, live sports is the only place that you could watch these commercials. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting.
0: Yeah, thanks for that. It's it's I thought it was insightful. I thought it was a, a lot of valid points because we hear a lot oh, these streaming companies are going to come after the NBA and that's going to boost the price up and I think Joel has put tabled some very valid points as to why they wouldn't because they, they don't own the content. And that's the beauty of the NBA. They own their own content. They can obviously license it out and and go from there. So, we'll watch that space and I guess that 75 billion number, we'll know, we'll know in the near future if that was how far off it is because, you know, if they only get 20 billion <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, there's going to be some writing on the wall. That's obviously 4-6 or 7 years, um don't forget. But um yeah, interesting times for the NBA. And like I said, I know for a fact that the NBA finals numbers are are, you know, the worst of the last decade plus. They're, they're absolutely horrible. So there are some concerns there. Let's get on to the next question so you can get to your flight. Question for the pod, would you rather win a ring in your first couple of years in the league and never reach the finals again? Or wait until the pretty much the end of your career a la Chris Paul. So for me I wouldn't care. I mean, you win a. I think winning a ring mid to late is better. Richard Jefferson always talked about when I when I played with him about. I think he went to the finals his first year in the league or second year in the league, and it kind of then he had to go through some down years, and it was hard to kind of comprehend what that was like because he experienced success so early. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to both of them. I'm not, you know, swaying either way. I'd rather just get a ring period because there's a lot of guys that don't get it, but that's just me. I assume you'd be the same pro, just get a ring, and get out of there.
1: Both, uh, you know, it does. Uh- It doesn't really matter. Like you said, you just want to win one. Um, And I I don't know. Like, I don't know what I would rather do. I'll tell you what, though. I think early on in your career, if you win a championship, you know, if you, I don't know what type of player you, you know, this player, this guy's talking, or this person's talking about, but like, if you're a great player or you're an average player or whatever, if you win one early, you might get the, like, the idea of what it takes to win. And, it, and I think it increases your value as a player to be able to do that early on in your career. And then, hey, look, you never know what the future's going to hold as far as winning it again. But I think if you taste it early in your career, now you go two ways. You could be way over... Like you can way overrate yourself and just think that any team you go to, you're going to win and you're going to get fucked up the rest of your career. Or you take it like, look, I got to continue to replicate this. This is how championship teams are done. I could not only do it for myself, but I could then educate the next team I'm with to like, hey, look, this is how we did it. I I remember with players that came from championship, you know, Harrison Barnes did it when he came to Dallas, he would always preach about what Golden State did. And like he early on in his career got to win a championship. So now he could take that the rest of his career to, to like understand what it takes as far as the hard work and dealing with adversity and the things that he had to deal with to, to win a championship. It could help you. But yeah, it, it'll probably turn a player bitter if you win one early or have some success early. And in the next 15 years, you don't even get there. It could be a little bit, you know, and then you could go out with the blaze of glory of winning a championship later in your career. Like Chris Paul. I can yeah. see how that is. Yeah. yeah. I'd say I'd rather win one early, sort of maybe get you on a good path later in your career. And again, you don't know. Your... Take the pressure off. Yeah. It takes the pressure off. And as well as it educates you and maybe maybe it takes you to a different path in your career as far as how you respect the game. You respect the, the work that goes into the game. You know, I don't know. I have no fucking idea. I have the athletic <laughs> I have the athletic fucking ability of a fucking wet turnip. I don't know what the fuck yeah. an, an athlete does and thinks, but I don't know. I, I just want to win one. I would agree. I just yeah. want to
0: win one. And Chris Chris goes on to then ask, what does winning chips do in contract negotiations if you aren't the superstar of the team? Is there a big difference for someone who might have been in the right place at the right time at the start of their career, which would affect future contract negotiations? You've hit it on the head. And that's one thing I, you know, we always preached in our group in Golden State is that if we win a championship, teams are going to poach our 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th man yep. for the very reason Pro just said. They were on a championship team. So if you know we might overpay that guy a couple of million a year you know Justin Holiday was a prime example he got he got poached by us and went on now he's playing you know very well he's been around the league a little bit but got some got some money because he was a a guy that played his role when he came in He had some intrigue about his length and size, could shoot the three ball, but was stuck behind, you know, Clay, Steph and a few other guys. But we won a championship and he wasn't a dickhead. He was a great teammate. And then now now teams that are either looking to rebuild, might sign a veteran guy that's been on a championship team and overpay a little bit. So it it definitely helps you. You know, those guys that are fringe- bench guys or almost on the roster off the roster they get rewarded heavily too so I think it's a win-win for everyone and, and you know that's that's the beauty of a, of a team that is trying to win a championship you always preach like everyone buy in everyone will get rewarded but a lot of teams and a lot of guys are like yeah 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 let me just get my stats and I'll get paid where I think the tides have turned a little bit in the NBA where you know, if you're part of a winning team and culture, there's almost a value in that rather than a guy that's on a team that won 20 games at average 20 a game, you know, so it's, it's kind of changed a little bit.
1: I do. I, I agree. I think you're going to get overpaid. I think you're going to get overvalued, which is good. It's it's great for a player and it, it, you know, coaches get overpaid and players get overpaid and front office guys get overpaid, you know, they like they get poached and, you know, sometimes like when the Sixers won it, I mean, not won it, but they lost to the Lakers with Iverson, they, oh, they, they they restructured everybody's deal after that, and they everybody got paid. When Richard Jefferson went to the finals and didn't win, but they went to the finals of Jason Kidd in New Jersey, all those guys got paid. They owed half their fucking money to Jason Kidd because most of those guys weren't that good and fucking Jason Kidd made him look a lot better. But like when you win, everybody wins, you know, and they, they want winning players. I remember Rick Carlisle saying that, you know, to teams like early on in, in my stay on Dallas, like he said, look, like everybody wants winners, like you win everybody's value that way. And I think if, if you win championships, it definitely helps you tenfold and. If you're the best player on that team, you could actually turn iconic if you win a championship and you're best player on a championship team. Even if you're not at that level, they're going to pump you to that level because of the fact that you won a championship. It might be fair. It might not be fair, but you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon
0: when you, when teams win championships. Yeah, it is. It is. So, you know, for those listening that are playing roles in their teams, it can be invaluable at times. But Pro has a hard stop in one minute, needs to get on on his flight. Hopefully, he doesn't miss this one and has all these vaccinations in order and enough euros in those suitcases. So,
1: Oh, Bogues, great fucking story from yesterday. So, we, we, we go see the ruins. We go see, like, great things around Athens. We're supposed to go to the biggest the biggest museum in fucking Athens. We, we waited 30 minutes in line because they weren't letting a lot of people in. So we're like third in and I got this text from the airline saying check into your flight and I'm checked in. I'm fully vaccinated, whatever. So I, I, feel, I, I thought I was all set. They never told me about this stuff. So I, I go to check in. They go, you need a, a, a COVID test. I'm like, how the fuck do I get a PCR test? It takes like t- a day or two in the United States to get your results. I'm fucked. My guy, who's the most connected guy in Athens I've ever seen, makes like three phone calls. I felt like a fucking mob guy that got fucking shot, and this guy takes me to a vet clinic in the middle of fucking nowhere <laughs> to get fucking sewn up. He 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 called this clinic. We're fucking rushing to get this fucking clinic. I go to the clinic and I'm like, all right, I go. I'm, I'm fucking good now. This guy fucking literally sticks this thing up my nose. Now I did the PCR test myself. In a, a CVS drive-through in the United States, they, and they watch you do it to see if you go far, far enough up. And then, you know, I go, well, you go a little bit up, and that's fine. It's not that uncomfortable. This guy scratched my back from the inside. He fucking he he stuck that shit. Your brain. Oh yeah, no, he went past my brain all the way down to my fucking back. He was scratching my back from the other side, from the inside. I I fucking I, I'm like if this guy doesn't like Donald Trump or the United States I'm fucked I thought I was fucking done I thought I was going to get buried under an island but Yes, I got my fucking test back last night. Um, one of the coaches, his birthday was like midnight. I'm, waiting, I'm sweating out my test. The fucking guy, they're blowing out his candles for his birthday cake. I jump up and go, fucking yeah, I got my fucking test back. And I was negative. And this fucking guy goes, hey, it's my birthday. What the fuck you doing? I'm like, hey, hey, asshole, I got to get on a fucking flight. Fuck off. But yeah, that's my story.
0: It's me. It's all about me. Not your, it's not your day. It's my day. <laughs>
1: Yeah, fuck off. I need to get on this flight. Again, we talk about it. I'm all good if it doesn't have anything to do with me, but it has to do with me, so all men for himself, motherfucker. (laughs) Fuck off with
0: that birthday cake. All right, that wraps up episode, what are we, 28? Remember, we have a special special guest next week coming to have a chat to us, an esteemed person in Australian basketball. So he'll have a good chat to us about the Olympics and what we should expect and pro can break his nuts a little bit about his old days. So join us then. Broker off, I hope. No, it's not broker off. It's not broker off. Ah, fuck, okay. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get the we'll get the counting on here. He can do our bookkeeping for your pay. Yeah, no doubt. Till then, at Rogue Bogues, social media platforms at Rogue Bogues on all good podcast platforms, and we'll see you next week. Safe travels, Pro.
1: All right, brother. Thanks, and yeah, you know, I'll see you when I get back.